welcome to City Break Ideas, episode 16. I'm Marion Jones, and if you've been listening to City Break Ideas in the past, I'm sure you know the format by now. I'm taking a little break from the London series, which is nearing its end now, to visit three travel websites and see what they've got to tell us about cities that you could visit. Lots on offer today from the lesser reaches of Europe, I think I could summarise. We haven't got a Paris or a Venice or a Florence today, but we are making our first ever trip to Iceland and we're going to explore some of the lesser known reaches of Eastern Europe too. In addition, three blockbuster cities from the States. So fewer continents than last time, I believe we went to four, but lots of interest nonetheless. And talking of last time, thanks very much to Kevin from Caffeinated Excursions, who took the trouble to write in after I featured him last month and to say that he found it such a joy, yes, I'm quoting, to listen to all the material that we covered last time. If you're new to City Breaks, then welcome, and perhaps I should just explain that every week, bar the first week of the month, I am covering cities in quite a lot more depth than you get in the City Break Ideas episode. So, for example, we're just finishing the London series, going to be, I think it's 27 episodes in all, all the big hitters, Buckingham Palace, the Tower of London, Westminster Abbey, etc. got an episode to themselves. Looking at the history in the background, all the research you do for yourself, I always like to say, if only you had the time. But some quirkier episodes too. There's one on the Thames, for example. Last week's was on shops and markets in the city. A tour of everything from Harrods to Brick Lane to Coldrops Yard, one of London's newest, trendiest shopping centres. If you haven't joined us already, do consider giving it a try. You can find us on all the usual platforms or you can go to the website www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk Okay, on with today. So I have trawled through three more travel websites and I'm going to bring you a little flavour of what they're about generally and then pick out, with the owner's permission of course, one or sometimes two cities that they've covered and tell you what you can learn about those from what they have to say. All in the hope, really, that one, you'll find it interesting to listen to, and two, you'll go off to the websites themselves and have a closer look. I can't possibly do any of them justice in the few minutes that we've got to spend on it today. Okay, so the first one, retiredandtravelling.com, run by Linda and David, who say straight away that you shouldn't let the retired label make you think that they're boring old travellers, as they put it themselves, not yet anyway. We semi-retired, they say, early, so that we could travel while we still had the health and energy to do the fun things we wanted to do. We travel far and wide for about six months of the year. They've been to over a 100 countries, something like 500 blog posts up already. Everything, they say, you need to plan and enjoy a great trip. We don't post lists with limited real information and we don't post about anything we have not fully experienced. Linda has a background in civil engineering, but when you go on to read that some of her hobbies are piloting, parachuting, scuba diving, you get what you might call a more rounded picture, I think, and David is described as being a retired Navy diver. So he sounds too equally an action man. David is also chief photographer, I think. And the photographs are actually a major feature of this site. Do go and have a look. Okay, so there are lots of different sections. There's one on cruising. 
The subheadings for that tell you that they've been to every continent already. California coast, Scandinavia, cruising around Japan and down the Danube. There's a food section where you can read about how they went cognac tasting in, where else, cognac, how they went on a southern Italian cookery course in Lecce in southern Italy. And I did notice they do seem to take afternoon tea wherever they can find it. So there are quite a few posts about that. The fun and adventure section is one of the main features. Here's a quote on that. During our travels, we had some great close-up encounters with whales and wild animals. And yes, there's no shortage of scuba diving, high water speed trips, helicopter tours, off-road jeep adventures. So lots to go and look at that I'm not really going to cover here, because we're off to the travel spots section, which contained quite a lot of cities. And I picked out to talk about, firstly, Boston, because they went there on the 4th of July weekend. And because when City Breaks finally gets to America, Boston is right at the top of my list of cities I would like to cover because I know there's lots of wonderful history there to be enjoyed. And I got an immediate flavour of the city, reading about how they chose a hotel close to the water in Boston Harbour, and how they enjoyed wandering along the waterway. There were various tours on offer. You could go on a duck tour boat, for example. That sounds fun, does it not? And there were various hop-on, hop-off options on other modes of transport. But it seems that Linda and David liked to just walk along and see what they could learn. And pretty soon they came across some information signs about the Boston Tea Party. I'm afraid to say here in England, if there's one thing anybody knows about Boston, it's that there once was a tea party there. Although I suspect that some of us do actually think it was an actual tea party. So the fact that right near the signs there was a museum all about same is a good thing. They also comment about seeing boats of all shapes and sizes and some information boards about the marine history of Boston and what boats have looked like over the various periods of history in the city. There was an intriguing reference to seeing old Ironsides go sailing by, and fortunately also an explanation. This vessel is otherwise known as the USS Constitution. It's the oldest commissioned naval vessel still afloat, and so when it comes by, it's quite a thing. Flotilla of boats following along, some of which I believe will take you along for the ride. They also went along a one-mile walk known as the Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy Greenway, a relaxing green space full of street art where you can wander and unwind. They went too to Quincy Market, large crowd, music, in fact no less the 39th Army Band there to entertain everybody. I'm not actually sure if that's every weekend or just on the 4th of July. It sounds like the sort of area where there frequently will be entertainment. And then you can go to the market where Linda and David spotted one of the things they'd been looking forward to about Boston. Our first view of the amazing supply of local fresh seafood, they said. So obviously they bought some and took it off for a picnic. Feasting on seafood, they comment, was one of our favourite things to do in Boston. But they also went to North Boston, which they describe as the Italian part of the city, where they found narrow streets lined with restaurants and pastry shops. Another part of the city they visited is the Charles River Esplanade. That took a subway to get there, the Bay Area I think it's known, where you can get a great view over the river, from which you can see, for example, such famous institutions as the MIT, so Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and Harvard University. 
some nice walking possibilities along the esplanade. There are paths which follow the water, go round little ponds. All very pretty, and on this particular weekend, as it turned out, a perfect spot to watch the July the 4th fireworks. They went past the statue of Arthur Fiedler, previous conductor of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, and also, I think, of the Boston Pops, who were there playing on this particular night, right up there on the bandstand, playing along to the firework display. They explored other parts of Bay Area too, the Public Garden, for example, which was America's first botanical garden, where you can see not just lots of swans, but also quite a lot of swan boats. So this was quite a short visit, just for the weekend, because it was July the 4th. But the write-up leaves you certainly with plenty of ideas for things that you could do if you stayed a bit longer. And it certainly made me think I would like to visit Boston, both for all the history that I already got some idea about, but also because it sounds a lovely laid-back sort of place, where you can do lots of enjoyable wandering about, just past this and that, and enjoy plenty of good food. Secondly, from Linda and David's website, I picked a city that City Breaks has not yet been to, may not in fact ever go to, perhaps, who knows, but which is certainly intriguing. And that was their post on the three days they spent in Reykjavik, capital, of course, of Iceland. In fact, they basically spent one day in the city and two days on day trips to see some of the absolutely stunning natural surroundings. So in Reykjavik itself, there were various highlights, most of them totally unpronounceable. One, for example, called Halgrim's Kirche, I think. And I think that Kirche possibly means church. There's a large park, ponds, art, etc. They did a waterfront walk in Reykjavik too, past something called the Sun Voyager statue, a well-known gleaming steel sculpture, which, as one of them commented, looks like an abandoned Viking ship. Sort of place where you meet lots of people posing for their photograph. They are complimentary about the art to be seen in Reykjavik, statues in the various squares, for example, plus an actual sculpture garden called the Einar Jonsson Sculpture Garden, where again you can wander through and just look at the statues as and when you come to them. There's plenty of street art too, all around the city, which they describe as colourful, fun and whimsical. Some of it, they said, was so good it should possibly have been in an art gallery, and other pieces, quote, just made us smile. If you're wondering what that means, there are loads of photos on that part of the blog, so go and have a look, see what you think. Regarding the day trips, they took one round the Golden Circle, and one around a peninsula which I can't pronounce, possibly the Rikyanes Peninsula, something like that. And between them, they offered, quote, stunning views, stops at a lake, a waterfall, a lighthouse, some lava fields, the chance to see bubbling mud pools and steam, and the Blue Lagoon, hot springs where you can go swimming. So all in all, it sounded like one of those places where you could have a city break if you don't actually just want to do museums and galleries all day every day, you want to see some stunning natural things too. There seem to be plenty of day trip opportunities to enjoy. Lots more information on that and all sorts of other things then from Linda and David's website, retiredandtravelling.com. I will make sure I put the links to all three websites in the show notes. And so now I'm going to move on to the second site I chose for today, lannysfoodandtravel.com. Written, of course, by Lanny, whose introduction to herself reads as follows. Professionally, I am a humanitarian based in a conflict zone. 
I love what I do, and I also love travelling out often for my mental health. She is one of those people who's lived in all sorts of different places, to name but a few, Tulsa, Bangkok, Chicago, Singapore, and she lists her current location, two places in fact, as Kabul or Islay, I-S-L-A-Y. And if that's new to you, here's what she has to say about it. Recently, I've made the gorgeous Isle of Islay in Scotland my home base. There are a few places in the world where a one-week visit could enchant you so much that you buy a wee property there six months later. You can hear that she's already quite into the local lingo. As for travel, she explains that her travels usually centre around food, amazing weather, hiking, history and culture, magical sunsets and phenomenal whisky. She's a particular fan of islands, she says, so both the Scottish islands and tropical islands are really special places to her, even though, of course, they are completely different. I prefer, she says, to go to destinations off the beaten path so that I can properly unwind without traffic jams and tourists crowding around. And this is another travel blog which doesn't specifically focus on cities, although there are some interesting ones and I'll come to those in a minute, but there's definitely a food theme, indeed a food section. One of her most popular posts is a restaurant review of an eight-course taco tasting menu in Mexico. Tasting menu reviews are a bit of a thing, as are food tour reviews. There's also lots and lots of nature. Another very popular post is the one on hiking and waterfalls in a national park in Croatia. And there is especially lots and lots of Scotland. And the topic of whiskey, which has its own subsection, seven posts so far with titles like Walk the Three Distilleries Path on Islay. But it was the travel section that I combed through I found posts on 19 different countries and I combed through them to choose something to focus on for today's episode. There was a post I enjoyed on Vienna, which Lani describes as an amazing artistic city and in which she focused on the art that you could see on the buildings there. Mosaics on the outside of buildings, murals, that sort of thing. Lots and lots of photos, all, as she puts it, shot on my trusty iPhone and interesting to scroll through. But to talk about in more detail, I picked quite nearby Budapest, where Lali spent 36 hours, in, as the heading tells us, a relaxing way. I bet you didn't know, this post opens, that Budapest is split into two by the river. It used to be two separate cities, Buda on the left, that's the hilly part, and Pest on the right, that's the flatter part. Lani started her trip with a bit of sightseeing by way of a river trip up the Danube, past Things like the Parliament, Buda Castle, under the famous Chain Bridge. A sort of orientation tour, I think. And then she went to one of the baths. Budapest is quite the spa town, and she picked one called the Rudas Bath, R-U-D-A-S, originally built in the 1500s. Think Turkish baths, modernised for today with restaurants, a rooftop jacuzzi, panoramic views, lots of different pools. Lally and friend opted for the all-in ticket and, as she puts it, stayed for hours on hours on hours. She made a point of eating Hungarian style too at the Hadig Cafe, eating something possibly called fozovek. Well, that's how it's spelt anyway, which is a Hungarian stew, spinach-orientated apparently, and a Hungarian craft beer, Monkey Temple. I was very struck by something that she did on day two, 
a walk along the Danube to see a memorial that I have read about before called The Shoes on the Danube Bank. It's close to the Hungarian Parliament and it consists of dozens of pairs of shoes sculpted and left as if just left by their owners along the riverside, put up in 1995 with a plaque by way of explanation, quote, to the memory of the victims shot into the Danube by Arrow Cross militiamen in 1944 and 1945. If you haven't come across this dreadful story before, it's about the three and a half thousand people, of whom 800 or so were Jewish, who were lined up during the German occupation of Budapest in World War II and shot. They had always been instructed to take their shoes off first, for the macabre and yet also poignant reason that shoes and indeed other things like coats were in very short supply because of the war. And so, almost unbelievably, people were asked to remove them before they were killed so that the people about to murder them could steal them. Lally's put a link on the blog to a very moving YouTube video which shows them as they are today and then pans over the river. And yes, it does look as if people have just passed by, taken off their shoes, perhaps for a dip in the river. And it's only by knowing the history that you know what it is you're really looking at. Underneath this, Lanny has written, To me, travelling is not just about seeing the beautiful and the Instagram worthy. There's so much to be learned about the history of a place and recognising that we can learn from the mistakes of the past. The rest of that blog post describes the afternoon that she spent walking through the city past St Stephen's Basilica and the Great Synagogue, apparently the largest synagogue in Europe, I did not know that, which houses a museum and a cemetery, as well as being a working synagogue. And then lastly, before leaving on a bus back to Vienna just after lunch, she went to the farmer's market at Simplakert to have a look at the first ruin bar that it was ever set up in Budapest. Ruin bars, R-U-I-N, are a bit of a Budapest thing, began in the early 2000s when people wanted to create cheap places to drink and they took over old derelict buildings and other abandoned spaces and transformed them into casual places to, as Lani puts it, hang out and drink. So for the full Budapest experience, do seek out a ruin bar. If you are a regular City Break Ideas listener, you'll know that I usually pick two cities from each website that I have a look at, and indeed there are other cities to choose from. On Lanny's blog, there's Jerusalem, there's Warsaw, there's a post about a food tour in Montreal, and um, Art Nouveau in somewhere in the Czech Republic, spelt B-R-N-O. I think I'll leave the idea of trying to say that properly. There's Mexico City, Belfast, Edinburgh. But I thought actually I'd depart from tradition, because I found another post that was really intriguing. And that's the one on Stolperstein. So that's a German word. Actually, it's two German words. Stolpern is the verb to stumble, and a stein is a stone. So a Stolperstein is literally a stumbling stone. A stone set into the pavement somewhere that you might happen across as you're walking along. Stumble over, if you will. And actually, it's an art project, first devised by the German artist Gunther Demnich, in order to commemorate those displaced and persecuted in World War II. So it consists of brass plaques set into the pavement in memory of individual people who disappeared, perhaps outside the place where they lived or went to school. Very much a personal thing, the motto of the project is one victim, one stone, 
So people should be named. It's a project that's meant a lot of research. Many countries in Europe have taken part. As of February 2019, for example, I know that there were 70,000 Stolpersteine in 22 different countries in Europe. And Lani has made a bit of a project on her travels of seeking them out, photographing them and putting them onto her blog. And I found examples from Oslo, Salzburg, Vienna and Bratislava. There's one, for example, on a building in Vienna, from where it is known that 57 Jews had been rounded up and sent to the concentration camps. This is explained in German on the plaque, and the three Jews who passed through that building for whom they have names are named on the plaque. I'm imagining that research is continuing to find the others. So it makes for very sombre reading. We are told that 57 Jews, 57 Juden, were von den Nazis deportiert, deported by the Nazis. Then it goes on to explain that nur zwei von ihnen, only two of them, haben überlebt, survived. And then the three names that they do know are given there too, as is explained on the plaque, stellvertretend, so representing für die vielen, the many. So the many others who disappeared and have not yet been named. And the names are Scheindlbucher, Saul Horowitz and Clara Horowitz. I do think that when you ponder these terrible things, just feel despair, there's nothing you can do, you come across something like this and you think, well, yes, that is actually the least that can be done. And hats off to Lani for giving it some room on her blog and spreading the word a little bit so that people who didn't know about the Stolpersteiner have the chance to find out. I do encourage you to go and have a look at that post. And the website address just once more, lanisfoodandtravel.com. Moving on then to this week's third offering, adventuringwoman.com, run by Cynthia and subtitled Adventures and Misadventures in Travel, Life and Love. She explains on the About Me page that it was intended really to be mainly a travel website, but that she was hoping to include other things too, relationships maybe, reading, cooking, other interesting things. But I think it would be fair to say that perhaps the travel has become the main focus. And her take is for, quote, independent, affordable, cultural travel. I want, she writes, to encourage other women to adventure, whether that's through travel or something else. And the final sentence of that section reads, let's live life to the fullest and to hell with waiting around. So sections on this website include the food and cooking section, mostly says Cynthia about eating. So there are posts including the food you can eat at the Minnesota State Fair, a post intriguingly entitled Minneapolis Summer Fair Fun Part 2 with pie and so on. There's a dating and relationships section with posts, for example, 10 suspicious things to watch out for in online dating profiles. And then there's the travel section, which subdivides into basically Los Angeles, Minnesota and Wisconsin, New York City, and one called All Over. A post whose title in lures you in straight away is the one called Going into Anaphylactic Shock in India and Surviving, a sort of useful how-not-to guide, or if it happens to you, how-to-survive guide, which ends with the two memorable sentences, quote, This is what I love about travel. It continually reminds me to be thrilled that I'm not dead. So then, on to the cities. I thought I'd have a look at New York City, for which there are 11 posts so far, 
and I picked to highlight the one entitled Tour Grand Central in Midtown Manhattan. I do remember doing that in a bit of a rush, not very thoroughly really, and thinking, one day I'll come back and do this properly. So this is a good chance to remind me of that. You really must tour Grand Central, says Cynthia, not least because 20 million people a year do exactly that. And that is not counting all those other people who come to, you know, get a train or meet somebody. It's massive. 48 acres, 44 platforms, which is apparently more than any other station in the world. But beautiful too. The ceiling to the main concourse, for example, is, says Cynthia, almost cathedral-like. Quote, The blue celestial ceiling soars above you, spangled with golden stars and constellations. There's a bit of a Beaux-Arts vibe. There are, for example, ten globe-shaped chandeliers, each of which weighs 800 pounds. There are three 60 feet high arched windows. And so it's no surprise to hear that it was designed by the same architects who designed the grand staircase at the Palais Garnier, i.e. the Paris Opera House. You can go on a guided tour, you can get a self-guided tour, there's lots of detail about the prices and whatnot, and then some write-ups about the things that Cynthia actually did on the day she went. She went to the Whispering Gallery. She went to the Oyster Bar, which is glorious, she says. Terracotta walls, vaulted ceilings with a herringbone pattern, chandeliers. It is, she says, simply cool, with an antique, yet somehow futuristic vibe. She, of course, ate something in the oyster bar. In fact, she had Manhattan chowder. What else? And oysters Rockefeller. That does sound very New York, does it not? And some crispy kale. That sounds healthy. And a plate of really good crackers and bread. Cynthia's way of expressing herself is often amusing and entertaining, not least here, where the mention of bread sets her off. Quote, In my experience, there's no longer any such thing as a bread basket in most restaurants except on the appetizer menu. You're lucky if you even get bread with your soup these days. The last time I ordered a bowl, I got a thin slice from a round loaf that had been cut in half. In half, I tell you. H-A-L-F, capitals, of course. And there was no butter, at all. But I digress. There were, in fact, lots of entertaining digressions. Although she does round off this particular post by telling us what else there is to see in the area once you've toured Grand Central. The Chrysler Building and the New York Public Library are within easy reach, as indeed is the Empire State Building. There are more New York posts on street art, on the library, on a visit to the Egyptian section of the New York Met, an intriguing one called The Woman in Gold, about a visit to see the painting which inspired the film of that title, i.e. Gustav Klimt's portrait of Adele Blochbauer, The painting, if you don't know the story, which has relatively recently been reclaimed from an Austrian art gallery because it was part of the art theft which took place in World War II. There's a good retelling of the story on the post. There's a link to a longer version of it in the Chicago Tribune. So really lots to browse and enjoy. I can't resist ending with one more quotation from, I think, the introduction to this section, which paints a picture of the upmarket slice of New York that is the Upper East Side. Quote, old money, designer boutiques, swanky hotels, Woody Allen movies, yippy little purebred dogs, defensive doormen. It's good stuff, isn't it? Then I moved on to have a look at the Los Angeles section. Lots and lots of useful stuff in the planning your trip part. 
all about the transport, the different neighbourhoods, free attractions, where to eat cheaply, lots of times and prices and so on, all very useful. Again, what I really enjoyed was the way things were put. Here's Cynthia's introduction to the two-part downtown LA section, 10 Unforgettable Things to Do. Quote, I expected a certain amount of craziness in LA. I didn't expect a complicated, fascinating, unforgettable city, so rich in both modern and historical architecture, art, and an incredible variety of fabulous food that I can't wait to go back and see and eat everything I missed. Again, far, far more than I can possibly cover in a few minutes. Do go and have a look yourself. But here, let's just enjoy one or two snippets. For example, the description of eating at somewhere called Egg Slut. Yes, really. Which is apparently at Grand Central Market. It's good, but the queues are quite long. But on the other hand, they do move quite quickly. This is how Cynthia puts it. Even if you're an indecisive Libran like me, you'll have plenty of time to decide what to order while you're waiting in line. I had the Fairfax, velvety scrambled eggs on a brioche bun with caramelised onions, a slice of really nice cheddar and a spicy sriracha mayo. I do apologise if I have misnamed that mayo. I'm not sure we have that here in Blighty. Anyway, there's lots more on the food you can get in the market, all of which makes you want to eat it all. Later on, there's a description of the architecture of the Million Dollar Theatre where they were playing silent films as early as 1918. And it's quite a building. Quote, Allegorical figures representing the arts, girls strumming stringed instruments with their legs dangling over the ledges, and, more oddly, bison heads and longhorn steer skulls. Somehow, it all comes together in a fascinating whole. There's a description, too, of the Bradbury building, which, who knew, you all probably do, but I didn't, starred in the film Blade Runner, and which has quite an unassuming exterior, but which opens up inside to be a stunning sunlit court. Cynthia lists some of the loveliest bits, the splendid Victorian atrium, the ornate filigree ironwork, the iconic birdcage elevators. And then she says, with her last piece of advice on same, if I may gush, do check out the cantilevered balconies. So I hope I've given you a flavour of what there is to enjoy on adventuringwoman.com and indeed on the other two websites featured today. If you've enjoyed hearing lots of different city break ideas and don't know our earlier episodes, you could have a look at some of those. I think from about episode nine onwards, I've been featuring three websites every episode. If you don't know the main city break series, perhaps you could consider having a listen to one of those. We're currently on London, the eighth city. Approaching the end of the series, next week's going to be the Travel Anthology episode. So I'll have readings from people like John Evelyn on the Great Fire of London, Virginia Woolf about shopping in Oxford Street, etc, etc. And, oh excitement, I'm going to have my first ever guest speaker. At least I hope so. I've sent him some extracts to record and he claims he's going to do it and send them back to me in good time to appear on next week's episode. Alternatively, perhaps you fancy one of the earlier series. We've got Seville, Think Lovely Sunny, Arabic Stroke Spanish Culture. We've got, I think it's 12 episodes on the gorgeous Georgian city of Bath here in the UK. Think Jane Austen, Spa Waters, The Romans, The Skyline Walk Around the Seven Hills, and so on and so on. I do hope you'll join me for something or other. 
If you want to find the website, it's www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk. You can email, if you like, to citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk or you could find me on Twitter at citybreakscast. Thank you very much then for your company today and I do hope that we'll meet again soon. Bye.